President and the new Congress. RTHK News, it's three minutes past eight. The weak global economy. Quantitative easing. The volatility and the upswings and the mood. Sort of a deflationary phenomenon again. Money for nothing. Good morning and welcome to Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotra-Hora. Janet Yellen signals the end of the zero-rate patience pledge, but with a flexible timetable. Asian stock futures climb amid U.S. market records as Yellen sinks the dollar. And Financial Secretary John Chung prepares to present his annual budget later today. So what's in store for Hong Kong? PwC's tax partner Jeremy Choi will preview the financial secretary's budget address. That's after a market wrap with Jeffrey's chief global equity strategist, Sean Darby. Then the Teich Group CEO, Stephen Gollop, will uh, tell us about wise investing. Stuart Aldcroft, City Trust uh, chairman, is back with us as guest host this morning. Welcome back, Stuart. Good morning, Renita. So, are we done with the talk of a possible Grexit? No, not at all. I think it's uh, still very much on the cards. Um, but the point of it is really that we don't know when it's going to happen and it should, it should become a surprise. So the Eurozone group of countries has approved Greece's proposed changes to its financial bailout program. And uh, this paves the way for Greece to receive its desperately needed funds for the next four months. The head of the Eurogroup, uh, Heron just. Dijsselbloem. Heron Dijsselbloem said that the reform proposals made by the Athens government would be a starting point for further negotiations. This list is just an indication of the kind of reforms that they would like to push, like to replace, and also the ones that they would like to continue. And uh, it's going to take time to really get into the details and to design a new contract or agreement which will carry us uh, on for four months. The reaction from Athens... The government has considered a lot of things, but I never thought they could get everything they asked for. That's impossible. Whatever they achieve is good. If um, he doesn't do the majority of the things he said before the elections, then uh, yes, he will lose support. I don't believe that this is going to change. I think everything is being written, all been signed a long time ago, must be followed. And uh, all this is a, a big show-off for me. So does this solve Greece's economic problems? Here's the BBC's Andrew Walker. No, it won't. It's a, it's certainly a starting point for the next phase in a very, very long-term effort to solve Greece's economic problems. Um, it's... It, it certainly gives the government a bit of time. It um, ensures that we will not have the nightmare scenario that they were looking at, at the possibility of being unable to pay the bills and of the European Central Bank feeling that it might have to stop supporting the Greek commercial banks. Those things, I think, for the time being, very much off the agenda, which certainly um, will will lighten the, lighten the gloom a great deal. But um, as, as your own Dysselblom was suggesting there, negotiating 
appreciating the detail of this changes to the reform program and we and as he was saying we've really only got very broad outlines here that's going to be an enormously difficult task and one thing that's um that's not really there at all is the question for the slightly longer term is what on earth to do about the greek government's overall debt load um syriza's in, in the election campaign lightening that was an absolutely central part of their election campaign um and that very much does remain business to be done David Kelly is the chief global strategist at uh, JP Morgan and he says that Greece can never pay this money back. I mean let's be honest given the, the, the state of the Greek economy the size of the debt they never pay it back. But I think the whole, the whole logical strategy uh, really for the last few years is string Greece along keep, nurse Greece along for long enough for the rest of the periphery and the rest of the European economy to get healthy and for the European banks to get healthy. And, and we're actually al- moving a good deal along that road right now. I think Europe is picking up countries like Ireland are doing better, Spain is doing better, Italy's doing a little bit better. So if Europe can continue to improve even if the Greek situation remains critical um, you know the longer we go the less dangerous it's going to be if Greece eventually does have to leave the euro and across the Atlantic US Fed chair Janet Yellen sought to prepare investors for a change in the Fed's pledge to be patient on raising interest rates saying that it would provide flexibility to tighten when conditions are ripe she made it clear during her testimony at the Senate that she was cautious about increasing lending rates from their current record lows the FOMC's assessment that it can be patient in beginning to normalize policy means that the committee considers it unlikely that economic conditions will warrant an increase in the target range for the federal funds rate for at least the next couple of FOMC meetings. If economic conditions continue to improve, as the committee anticipates, the committee will at some point begin considering an increase in the target range for the federal funds rate on a meeting-by-meeting basis. So some analysts say that markets are starting to verge on boredom. And Janet Yellen's language begs the question as to whether the Fed is now erring on the side of caution and further delay. Here's Chris Rupke, chief financial economist at the Bank of Tokyo Mitsubishi UFJ. Before today's testimony, the Fed says... They can be patient, and that means no rate hike for at least the next couple of meetings. If they drop the word patient in March, then they can raise rates in June. Today, however, she said even if they drop the word patient, that does not mean they will automatically increase rates in a couple of meetings. That might not be such a bad thing because when they drop the word patient, she added it will mean the committee thinks Conditions have improved to the point where it will soon be the case that a change in the target range could be warranted at any meeting. Sounds like dropping the word patient will now be a bigger deal as they could then go at any time perhaps, although maybe now we need to know, need to have her define what exactly soon to be the case means. Net-net, the Fed didn't show its cards today and leaves us to guess at the first rate hike timing, whether June, September or December. Today's news gave stocks in the U.S. and Europe a boost. The Dow climbed 85 points to 18,202. The S&P 500 gained a fifth of a percent to 2,114, while the Nasdaq finished just over a point higher at 4,962. Let's bring in our first guest, Sean Darby, who is uh, Chief Global Equity Strategist at Jefferies. Good morning, Sean. Good morning. 
So, Sean, uh, Asian stocks were positive this morning uh, on Janet Yellen's testimony. Where do we see this going through the day? Well, I think the, the markets will continue to take the view that uh, Miss Yellen is going to be extremely pragmatic, and that suggests to me that we're in the lower for longer camp in terms of rate hikes in the U.S., and you have to put that into the context that virtually all of the world at the moment is actually still eating policy. So I think uh, for financial assets, it's not a bad uh, backdrop, and I think it's very unlikely that the Fed will uh, uh, move too early, given the fact that, as I say, everyone else is still easing and there's still a great deal of uh, disinflation and deflation out there. So in the past, uh, Janet Yellen, or, you know, analysts have alluded to the fact that Janet Yellen has been more sort of U.S. focused, uh, you know, regarding her policy and, and, and you know, her actions, uh, the Fed's actions, um, uh, you know, given what's happening in the rest of the world. Do you think that at this point, you know, the Fed has no choice but to uh, look at what's happening elsewhere and be guided accordingly? Well, in, in one sense, yes. I mean, it's, for us, it's very similar to the sort of late 1990s uh, when Mr. Alan Greenspan was running the Fed and there were a series of economic crises in emerging markets at that time. Europe was very weak, or Germany at that time was very weak, and Japan was stuck in a deflationary rut. And, uh, uh, and Mr. Alan Greenspan kept U.S. policy rates very low. And in fact, uh, in that respect, he was actually entirely right. There was a lot of disinflation coming into the U.S., and there was not a need to raise rates. And that's the sort of scenario that we see at the moment uh, surrounding the Fed and the US. Hi, Sean Stewart here. Um, Are we seeing better growth prospects out of the US market itself, though? That's a very interesting uh, question. If you actually split it into two, um, the economic surprises in the U.S. since really the end of the, the end of last year have actually been quite weak, um, and actually the numbers have actually come in a lot lower than expected. And I think part of that might actually be due to the winter, uh, the, um, but also the fact that, it, as with all things, uh, you have such a strong third quarter and fourth quarter that numbers have actually turned out a lot weaker than expected. So. I Again, there's not an excuse to, to raise rates on the basis of that. And secondly, in terms of the equity market, uh, we've been a lot more cautious in the U.S. because actually, if you do look through the numbers, the earnings numbers for this year could actually be negative year on year for 2015 if indeed we see any further weakness in oil prices and or a slippage in the U.S. economy. But aren't we seeing uh, much fuller employment now in the U.S.? And isn't that going to help to lead to uh, better prospects, as it were? Well, that's the sort of um, rub, really, or the irony for the equity market is that you've had record margins, and you would find that perhaps you you could see the uh, margins starting to um, narrow as those employment costs start to rise, and that might actually take away some of the um, the better bottom line earnings that's actually been uh, that's been holding the market up over the last eighteen to twenty four months. So there's a there's a quid pro quo for the better employment uh, better employment conditions for the earnings numbers at least. So, Sean, what about Greece? I mean, the problems are nowhere near being over by the looks of it. So what exactly do these next four months buy us? 
Well, I, I was listening in a little earlier, and I'm, I'm actually in a slightly different camp. I actually think uh, Greece is actually looking quite good. I'm, I'm sort of surprised about the overall bearishness on things in, on Greece. I know the debt level is very bad, but if you were to compare the UK economy and the Greek economy, uh, you would actually start to think Greece is looking actually superb. It's running a current account surplus. Its trade deficit has narrowed. Unit labor costs have dropped sharply. Um, it's running a primary budget surplus of 3% of GDP, all those things the UK economy is unable to do. Um, so in one respect, I think um, the, the Greek economy has taken a lot of the medicine in, in terms of uh, repairing itself. And as, w- as with all debtor uh, creditor negotiations, they're not they're never really sort of nice conversations. And this one has played itself out in the, in, in the whole, uh, whole full spectrum of the press. But you would have to say, take a view, certainly when we look at some of the equities, that it's exceptionally cheap and uh, you know again the, the, you know some of the more dire dire views that out there on the greek economy are probably not or greece greece itself is not going to be played out well a uh, bit of positivity on greece definitely a breath of fresh air so should we uh, be going in to buy greek ponds <laughs> Well, I, I've been. We, we did a note very recently, and uh, again, we've sort of very dispassionate about things. And we, we did find that the companies that have, you know, you have to take, remember that Greece has actually gone through an economic contraction that was worse than the U.S. during the Great Depression. So the companies that are left now are actually in pretty, you know, must have a pretty good franchise value. So we did find that the stocks were exceptionally cheap. A lot of companies, even during those dire periods, have produced positive cash flow. So for our respect. It's, um, you know, a lot of the bad news is already very much reflected in prices. And again, I I would say that the Greeks have probably got a pretty good deal. They're going to be able to lower that uh, budget surplus requirement and actually spend a bit in the domestic economy. And I think that ultimately is the end game uh, four months hence. All right, Sean, one uh, last question for this morning. You know, casino stocks have slumped on the Macau government's plan to limit tourists from the mainland. Now, surely this is going to have a negative impact on gain revenue so what's the thinking behind this I still think um, there's a deliberate policy in place now to control outflows of money um, by the centri- by the authorities in China and this is all part of that um, overall plan and I think it comes down to the fact that there has been enormous leakage of money in and out of China over the last three to four years and to some extent, it has been a little bit destabilizing. So I think it's just part of the whole uh, reform process in, in the financial space for, for China. And I think, you know, again, it comes with the fact that we're going to have much lower growth rates. And then, indeed, we're going to have spillover effects. And this one is on, is on the casino industry. All right, Sean, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Sean Darby, and he is Chief Global Equity Strategist for Jefferies. The Nikkei is up uh, 27 points to 18,630. Australia's ASX 100 is up, uh, is down, excuse me, nine points to 5,880. And Seoul's Cosby up 12 points to 1,988. Influenza is spread by droplets. To prevent influenza, you should open windows to maintain good indoor ventilation and observe personal and environmental hygiene. Always wash your hands. Cover your nose and mouth with tissue paper when sneezing or coughing. Wear a mask if you have symptoms of respiratory infection and see a doctor if symptoms persist or deteriorate. To protect yourself and family members, get vaccinated every year. 
to stay healthy, let's fight influenza together. The time is now 8.18 a.m. and a little later this morning at 11 a.m., the Financial Secretary John Chung will deliver his budget speech. He's expected to announce a fiscal surplus of at least 60 billion Hong Kong dollars. And whether you're looking for one-off measures like a salaries tax rebate or property rates reduction or education allowance, there will no doubt be different voices for or against uh, uh, what he plans to announce later this morning. Let's bring in our guest, Price. Waterhouse Cooper's tax partner, Jeremy Choi. Good morning, Jeremy. Good morning. So, Jeremy, to put this in context, first of all, for the Hong Kong uh, taxpayer, where does the surplus come from? Um, I think uh, if you look at the previous budgets and uh, this year, um, majority of the additional surpluses come from this stamp duty. Because uh, if you look at the stamp duty um, ordinance, um, they change it uh, basically in 2013, the double uh, stamp duty uh, regime. And they only record as a revenue for the government uh, in this financial year. So basically they account for almost two years uh, additional stamp duty revenue. So in terms of what he announces later this morning, um, certainly there's going to be split opinion over, uh, you know, one-off sweeteners versus long-term development expenses. How do you think he strikes a balance in his policy address? Well, I think uh, John is well aware that the one-off relief measure is temporary and they are not meant to be long-term solution to Hong Kong. And he would like to see all these um, temporary uh, one-off measure going away if the government policy is able to deal with the key issue we are facing right now. So we are hoping that there will be more long-term measures, policy in place to enhance the Hong Kong competitiveness, such that we can attract more business opportunity coming into Hong Kong. Now, this will help increase our revenue and provide some comfort to address the structural deficit issues we are facing. And, and what are those one-off sweeteners in the interim that we're expecting to hear about? Well, I think uh, from the source uh, mentioned uh, recently, I think that there, sh- there will be tax refund um, um, on salary tax. And there will be some measures, measures on the SME um, regarding the, um, the uh, license fee uh, uh, waiver. And there will be... Um, waiver of one, uh, one month rent for public housing tenants. Is there also supposed to be some kind of relief for businesses affected by the Occupy protests? Well, I think the message is quite clear and um, the government actually look at the uh, the effect and the effect uh, that will affect the, uh, uh, the retail business and the uh, business as a whole during the occupations. And this is some, something the government would like to, to give something back to the... Um, to the society. Is there any prospect that we'll have a further discussion on future consumption tax, for example? That's been a, a subject matter in the past. Well, I think uh, there has been a lot of discussion in the past and there has been some study uh, on these issues. And um, But whether there will, uh, the government will push the uh, consumption tax, VAT, um, the answer is probably no at the moment. But then the, the question is, if you look at the international, the global economy, most of the um, the countries, they all have VAT regime. And so I think, we're missing out, as it were, aren't we? 
Well, I, yeah, I think it's something for us to consider. If, if mm. most of the successful economy and mature economy, they all have VAT and GST, and they're running so well, and they have a balanced budgets, and that is something we should consider whether we, that that will be the time for Hong Kong. Yeah. Jeremy, a working group on long-term fiscal planning published a report uh, in March last year. Um, warning that pressure from the aging population could turn surplus to a structural deficit in seven years. Do you think this is possible? Well, I think uh, if you look at the computations, there, there are a lot of assumptions there in, in computing the seven years and the real GPT, uh, GDP growth rates, cost of education, uh, social welfare, etc. But these assumptions can change and as a result, it can give very different pictures. I think the important thing is not uh, how, how, many years, how many years that will come uh, to a deficit situation for Hong Kong. The important thing is... Um, we are facing an aging issues, and if there will be additional expenditure for all of us, sounds like a good argument for the universal pension plan. Then, <laughs> <laughs> so then we we should look for additional revenue in order to mm. finance the additional expenditures. Yeah. Otherwise, it, we will just use up our reserve. But is it uh, realistic for the government to see surpluses like this year after year? You know, after all the income from uh, property cooling measures. Well, um, I think um, the, the the reason behind for this year uh, budget, basically, as I mentioned, is the uh, basically uh, it comes from the stamp duty additional stamp duty, stamp duty arising from the double uh, stamp duty. But he's region. not going to get rid of that because it'll just boost the property market again, which is something he's already said he doesn't want to do. Well, in in terms of property market price, I think there's a lot of different factors that will affect mm. the price of properties, uh, including the supply of land mm. and the uh, interest rate. And I think um, um, so um, Put, uh, increasing the cost of the transactions and it's only uh, helping to cool down the, the property price. But it, uh, we, have to, we have to look at other factors as well. Yeah. All right, Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Jeremy Choi, and he is a tax partner at PwC. Well, if you're like me and uh, you might have a migraine when it comes to choosing what to invest in, uh, the good news is that our last guest for this morning, the Teich Group's uh, CEO, Stephen Gollop, is here to tell us more about what it is that we should pay attention to uh, before we invest our dollars. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning. So, Stephen, you know, I guess the opening question really is, will the Chinese yuan become an international currency? Well, that's an interesting one. And certainly China needs to do that in the long term if it's going to be a a sort of fit in with the global economy. Um, But in the short term, it's going to be a slow process. And we've seen some movement. Uh, We've we've seen, uh, you know, global um, uh, transactions increasing quite dramatically uh, from what was uh, a total of sort of 0.67% of transactions in uh, 2013. That's that's doubled, which only puts it up to 1.6 or so. Um, But it is a significant movement. And and so we are going to see it come through through, and there are definite uh, measures in place to bring it through. So what would you say are the most interesting markets uh, for potential growth and investment at the moment? Well, well, I think there's two that we're looking at. Japan is one and and Europe is the other. And maybe just to focus on Europe, um, I just go back on Sean's comments actually a little bit earlier where he's not quite so negative about Greece and and I'd have to sort of support that. Um, We have seen a change in government policy and and they've gone back on on, uh, uh, election promises, which for me is very interesting because it shows they are 
well and truly committed to doing the right thing as opposed to what uh, the public is trying to make them do. Um, we've seen them uh, cut back on or agree to cut back on welfare spending, uh, agree to raise uh, not to raise minimum wages, um, and and also uh, halt uh, not not to halt the privatisations. So from that side, I think Greece is looking interesting. We've got QE coming through, which historically now uh, does look well for stock markets. Um, and, and let's face it, Europe was pretty awful last year, um, yeah. and so there's there's about time we saw some performance come through. So certainly, I know that private equity uh, has their eyes on Europe, but what you're suggesting is that perhaps it's time to invest in European or specifically Greek equities as well? Uh, well, not so much Greek equities at the moment, I think, but uh, cer- certainly Europe as a whole, I think, is a very interesting area. Um, Euro's still coming down, so if you're going to invest into Europe, then I think you need to look to hedge the currency, otherwise you could be losing out on, on, on the uh, currency of Forex. Um, but there's lots of good things going on in Europe now, and I also think that you know, there's, there's a great clouds of, of Russia and Ukraine could well be lifting. Um, there, there's a lot of impetus to try and sort that out with major countries involved. And, and I think so are you, are you looking at mainland Europe as opposed to Europe, including UK? Continental Europe, yes. yes. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Uh, but Moody's has just recently downgraded Russia again. So, But you, you say the clouds are lifting? Well, I think so. I, th- I think if we saw a solution from the Ukraine, then we are looking at, at uh, uh, stocks in, in, the, in, in Russia, which are incredibly cheap now. You know, Gazprom, which is a massive company is working off a P of about two now, um, which is incredibly cheap in every sense except when you look at the political situation. So I think if that were resolved, um, we are now looking at a market which has an incredibly weak currency, incredibly low P ratios. Uh, it, it's got to be the cheapest uh, market in the world, but in, it's not quite ready to invest yet. Well, that's it. When, when, when will be the right time to invest? I mean, yes, of course it's very cheap, but, you know, the political situation, I mean, that underscores everything, doesn't it? Uh, unquestionably. I think there's two things to look for here. One is, is being a recovery in the oil price and two is, is a, uh, solving the Ukraine issue. All right. Uh, you know, speaking of currencies, with currency fluctuations over the last 12 months, um, the importance of identifying the appropriate base currency for portfolio, I think, is really, really important. W- what are your thoughts on this? No, I, I share that completely. Um, you've got to work out where you're going to be spending your money at the end of the day. And it's very easy to just to look at U.S. dollar out here because we've got Hong Kong dollar based to U.S. dollar. Um, and so you tend to focus on that. But if you're going to go back to Australia, you're going to go back to Europe, if that's where you're spending your money, that's where you need your returns. Um, and just to give you an example, I mean, a little bit off the mark here, but Argentina, which was the best performing market last year at 54% up, well, that's fine if you're Argentinian, but if you're actually outside, the currency lost 70%. So you need to be aware of, you know, currency movements and where you're going to be spending your money. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Stephen Gollop. He is the CEO of the Teich Group. A quick look at the markets before we close this morning. Uh, the Nikkei is down 29 points to 18,573. Australia uh, down 1.7 points uh, to 5,888. And Seoul's Kospi up 12 points to 1,988. In currencies, one euro buys you 1.13 US dollars. The U.S. dollar is currently trading at 118 yen and one pound sterling is worth 12 Hong Kong dollars. Gold is worth $1,196 and Brent crude oil, $58.66. So uh, here we are at the...
the end of the show. Stuart, uh, parting thoughts for the day? Oh, I'm looking forward to he- hearing how much John Chang's going to give me back on my tax for the next year. Um, Jeremy's just given me a really good idea. <laughs> really? Do you want to share, Jeremy? <laughs> well, definitely. Uh, I think the expectation from the society there will be a tax refund. But I do not know how much. <laughs> so okay. that's all we have to look forward to for today. <laughs> okay. Well, that, that's plenty. Thank you uh, so much for joining us and welcome back uh, to Money for Nothing. Thanks that- very much is Stuart Aldcroft, uh, the chairman of City Trust. He is our regular Wednesday co-host on Money for Nothing. And I'm Renita Malhotra-Hora, wrapping up for the show this morning. A quick look at the weather forecast before we depart. Today will be cloudy and foggy with one or two rain patches at first, bright sunny periods during the day. The temperature right now is 19 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 98%. Now it's time for the news summary with Ben Pelletier. The financial secretary will put cash back into people's pockets to the tune of some $20 billion when he announces his spending blueprint this morning. Sources say there's likely to be a salaries tax rebate of 75%, capped at about $15,000. We can also expect to see property rate waivers and people in public housing are likely to get a month off from paying rent. The European Finance Commissioner has said the Eurozone's approval of changes by Greece to its bailout program has averted an immediate financial crisis, but Pierre Moscovici said the deal was only the starting point for talks on how Greece would implement the reforms in return for a four-month extension of its funding arrangements. The BBC's Mark Lowen is in Athens. They've had to roll back on certain pledges. So, for example, their pledge to raise the minimum wage by 170 euros a month, to reverse privatizations, to reverse austerity measures, actually, uh, and to rehire thousands of public sector workers laid off during the financial crisis. What the Prime Minister said is that he was backed into a corner on this, that Greece had to compromise. It won some concessions in terms of spending more on welfare, on uh, helping the victims of the humanitarian crisis, as they call it, Uh, but they had to negotiate with the Eurozone on this, and they managed to negotiate